Hi and welcome back to season three of the What's Cooking podcast. We interview food and drink entrepreneurs about their businesses, how they got started, the journey so far and what gets them out of bed in the morning. I'm Beth and I'm here with my co-host Kat. Um, We are so excited to bring you season three. We've been working over the past couple of months and interviewing some really exciting guests, so can't wait to share them with you. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I was just thinking about last night, and I was like, did we talk about last night? Because that was really fun, and then I forgot where we were. (laughs) (laughs) We're really excited to introduce the first episode, where we spoke to Annie and Johnny, who are founders of Spoon Cereals. We met Annie and Johnny at their new offices, which are part of the Food Exchange, which is this really exciting new hub in Nine Elms, in the new development there next to New Covent Garden Market. And it's a very cool space, which is designed for food and drink startups to to take space there and kind of work alongside each other. We really enjoyed meeting Annie and Johnny. We thought they were both really inspirational. They spoke so eloquently and so passionately about their business. Um, We were kind of blown away by their their story, really, weren't we? Yeah, and their knowledge. They were just so switched on and knowledgeable. It was just really interesting to hear their perspective and their general sort of attitude was just to go with it and go for like all in, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. No fear. Just, like, if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't try, you don't know. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's really great to hear their story. And in the episode, we discussed their Cedars campaign, and we're delighted to tell you that they have funded. In fact, they've overfunded. So congratulations, guys. That is really amazing news. Yeah, huge achievement. Yeah. Okay, so we hope you enjoy the first episode. Here it is. Today we're talking to Annie and Johnny, co-founders of healthy breakfast brand Spoon Cereals, whose mission is to make breakfast better. Since their 2013 launch as London's first cereal pop-up, they have grown into a hugely successful challenger brand with their granola and mueslis now stocked all over the country from Independence to Waitrose and Whole Foods. Hi guys. Hi. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us on. So tell us a little bit about your backgrounds. Did you have a role in food before Spoon? Neither of us had any involvement in FMCG um, in terms of kind of my nearest relationship to food, I guess, in the working environment was in restaurants. So I kind of just used to waitress at this amazing restaurant called Peach and Nurseries. Oh, oh my gosh. Nice guy. Amazing. Wow. And that really kind of opened my eyes to good quality produce and sustainability and all that kind of stuff. Um, and also just such an amazing place to work. <laughs> Doesn't make The dream. Like, yeah. <laughs> work. Very relaxed. Um, so, but yeah, my background is actually in advertising. Um, I studied graphic design at uni and went on to do a master's in advertising and design and then fell into the ad world as a creative and I was working in a partnership with another girl. Typically the way it works is you have uh, a copywriter and a art director 
we were a bit of a hybrid team um, and quite unique because it was all girl teams. So normally you get all male team creatives. That was kind of the, the Mad Men days, but nowadays it's kind of more female, which is great. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but um, I guess we'll come on to this. But my real passion was also in food and specifically breakfast. I just had an obsession with breakfast. Um, and I'm not really a morning person, so I guess that's why. It was my sort of reason to get up in the morning, because I just, yeah, I used to go to bed thinking about it, and uh, that's how we began, basically. Yeah, and, and like Annie, I had, um, in terms of being involved in the operational side of food, I had only experienced it through waiting tables after university in a ski resort, which was, which was lovely. Um, and that, you know, was probably where, you know, my love of food initially, the, you know, the spark was, was, was lit. Um, but I then spent about 15 years working in finance. Um, and as part of that, I worked some crazy uh, trading floor hours in various investment banks covering food businesses, food and drink businesses. But obviously these were the, the sort of the big bad boys of the of the food world, um, you know, the Unilevers, the Nestle's, the, the Cadbury's as was. Um, and I spent a lot of time advising pension funds and hedge funds uh, whether or not to make investments in food and drink companies. Um, and so that gave me some sort of insight uh, into the whole fast-moving consumer goods world. Uh, but... It was actually in 2007 that I, I stopped doing that and I, I moved over to Amsterdam uh, for a little bit of change in, in pace of life. I was still working finance and investment, but, but a, a totally different pace to working on the, the trading floor of a, of a bank and, and researching stocks and getting up at half past five in the morning. Um, so uh, it, was, it was when I came back from Amsterdam uh, that actually... Uh, I met Annie um, and the, the, we met because uh, my girlfriend at the time and now wife uh, is Annie's sister and we had been um, introduced at various, you know, the first time we met was actually at a, at a brunch for your birthday, I think. Um, someone's birthday. Yeah. Not yours? No. no. My, memory, my memory is not correct then. Um, <laughs> But we've we you know we'd uh, you know been um, seen seen each other at uh, various various family events, and I I always knew that I wanted to do something a outside of finance and b uh, in food. And I remember you know my mother taking us to Chinese restaurants when we were when we were super young in in, in Soho. Uh, there's a place called the New World, which actually really sadly has just closed down, um, and it was one of the few places in London where you can get trolley dim sum service sort of Hong Kong style. And myself and my three sisters got taken there by, by our mum from like age eight. And I, I had always thought, you know, this is, this is a, you know, something that's ripe for, you know, a little bit, you know, applying a little bit of class to it, you know, a little bit poshed up. And then lo and behold, you know, uh, having had that thought and idea for however many years, then you know, Hakkasan comes along um, and various other incarnations. And I had a similar idea when I went to California for the first time and experienced great, you know, Mexican food. And I thought, this needs to come to London. Why could you only get, you know, terrible Mexican food? And then lo and behold, a few years later, probably about a decade later, Oaxaca comes along. So I always thought, I, I had these ideas to do these things, and, and I think they're timely. And when Annie mentioned her idea um, for spoon and for breakfast, uh, I actually, you know, sat down and thought, you know, there's really something in this making breakfast better. It really is ripe for 
a little bit of um, you know revolution in in terms of the the cereal market and, and and the freshness and the quality of what we can do. So it just struck me as a really fantastic idea. And so when I moved back from Amsterdam, I had nothing to do because I'd quit my job. Um, it was just natural that we kicked off a little bit of a side project and um, and sort of saw how it went. That's great. Yeah. Um, you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you started in 2013. Correct. Is that right? Yes. What was the market looking like then? Because now we've got a range of products, lots of different styles, but what was it looking like back then? In terms of the cereal market? Yeah. In terms of breakfast. It wasn't as... Nowadays, you've got a lot of people that have started making granola themselves at home and realised, oh, this tastes really good. I'm going to make a product out of it. Um, and that's what we realised kind of ahead of the curve, I think. Mm. Um, so at that time, it was still your, I guess, your key, your high-end granolas and muesli's were the likes of Dorset cereals. Those were, I, I used to buy Dorset cereals and... You know, used to really enjoy it, um, but uh, we felt like there was room for another, another younger granola brand to come in and shake up, shake up the category a bit. So yeah, I guess at that stage it was Dorset. It was Rude Health was just about kind of making waves as yeah. well. Um, so I sort of really looked up to those two brands in terms of kind of their ethos and their, the quality credentials and stuff. So that was the kind of, that was the direct competition. But then in terms of the the whole cereal market, it was very much in decline, um, or heading that way more. So, and people were getting wise on sugar and actually reading the back of packs and realizing quite how bad some of these cereals products were. Even, even though when you look on the cereal aisle, you go down, it all feels very rustic and wholesome and healthy in inverse commas, but actually, um, once you look in the back, it's full of sugar and refined sugar um, and not. That tasty, so we wanted to kind of turn that around. But it was, I mean, the you see, we've ended up with you know the products that we have now five, five years later, almost five years later. Uh, but it wasn't actually the original plan to you know to sell boxes off shelves of retailers, and the original plan was to you know have a little cafe and actually do breakfast a little bit differently from, from a site. and. So it, that's the sort of spirit that we started out in, and our first sort of adventure was at Barnes Food Fair, and we we had a granola recipe, a basic granola recipe uh, that we we made up in combination of my flat in Notting Hill at the time and Annie's parents' place in Fulham, and we spent a lot of time cooking and shoveling trays in and out of uh, very small ovens. Um, but the idea was really to have a sort of pick and mix type uh, arrangement, really. Um, so we had loads of great you know, um, uh, grains and then some, some seeds and nuts and fruits uh, that people could make their own mueslis and make their own uh, granolas from, from our base. And then, you know, you could supplement that with some, some great yogurts. We were flavoring yogurts at the time and you'd made some great compots up and we had some, you know, really nice toppings to go with that. And the idea was a fresh pot. Um, and that's what, what you would always want it on your way to work, which was the idea. Yeah. It was, a, it was a, a place that you could go and order a lovely bowl of breakfast cereal that was of high quality. So, as John said, we had the homemade granola and then the mueslis that people can make themselves and then top it up however they liked it. And it was sort of stemmed from like the way I 
enjoy that every single morning, like spending the time to kind of build the bowl just the way you like it and recognising that everyone's quite particular about what we like in the morning. And yeah, I guess we just found that the granola we were making just everyone loved. Mm. Um, and it was the cinnamon one that we still, that was our signature one that we started with. And the feedback we were getting was actually on the granola. And uh, we used to be like, well, why don't we just pack this in bags as well so people can just buy it, um, to take home with them? People buy sort of five bags at a time, that sort of thing. And I think what what happened was when we launched at Barnes Food Fair, it was very, very reactive. So we had the, the sort of genesis of the idea in our heads of this pop-up thing. <laughs> it was so, that's all it was. It's just verbally, like, this is the idea. And then luckily I met someone who was trading outside the train station um, on my way to work. And he was serving iced coffees and we got chatting and told him about the idea of a spoon. And he said that he had a stand space at Barnes Food Fair and that he didn't need the whole space. So we were welcome to come share it with him. Which we just jumped, we basically just jumped off. I remember ringing Johnny that evening saying, you know, telling him the story, and um, we just went for it. So we had two weeks to get everything ready. The only concern was that it was a lunchtime market and we were selling breakfast. Um, so everyone thought we were a bit mad. That became a recurring but theme actually, as well. <laughs> it was the best decision we made because we stuck out like a sore thumb because everyone else was doing burgers and, you know, the classic street food stuff that you have at lunch um, but we were doing breakfast bowls and you know people would come along and have a breakfast bowl for their pudding sort of thing mm. and then buy you know talk to us about the recipes and buy a pack to take home and that day we had um, the guy from a local deli come and he had his own stand of fresh produce at the fair and he came over and basically said I'm going to stop you guys straight away, which is so exciting because yeah. it was literally our first ever day of trading. So from that day, we kind of thought, let's give this a crack and, and see where it takes us. So it's all been really organic and we have we didn't set out at the beginning to, with... It was a very like, non-traditional route to um, market within FMCG because most people kind of have an idea for the product first and then you know, come up with the brand and the name and everything, but we just had this concept, a very kind of rough concept, um, but we knew that we wanted, it was all about breakfast and it was built with passion for breakfast and we wanted to make that occasion better. So um, it's taken us a couple of years to kind of mould the brand and the product and make sure it's exactly the way we want it to be and what our consumers are looking for. So, yeah, that's kind of... Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think like all of these, um, you know, things that you take on in, in, in your life, that something that is a side project and a hobby uh, that is coming from a, a good place, uh, you know, you know, you're doing it for the right reasons. And it really was, uh, you know, just a passion project for us um, over the first few months. Uh, you were still working full time and I was trying to find my feet back in London, didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it just, it tells you a lot if you're willing to put time and effort into something, even though you're not getting any reward or there is no real end game or plan. I think that that says a lot to you about, you know, the reasons that you're doing something and, and, and the core behind it. And, and for us, that was really important. A, a lot of the sort of things that have happened to us along the way from that market to being, you know, uh, on the shelves of Waitrose, now on the shelves in the supermarket in France, 
you know, you, you've got to have a little bit of luck along the way. And we've, def- we've definitely had that. But we've also, you know, consciously sort of made decisions to, 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 to pivot and to, 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 to move um, as we have uh, learned from people. And because we had the flexibility to do that, because it was just a side project, if we'd set out to create a brand and create a product and, if, you know, things had gone wrong, it would have been a big setback. But we experienced a lot of little setbacks along the way. Uh, that sort of ended up molding a different, you know, and creating a slightly different path for us. Um, so that, that I think was, um, we've, we've definitely done things slowly and we've done things organically, but I think that's been for us super helpful. And one of the, the, the things that we always say helped us a lot was, you know, being able to speak to people face to face about the, about the product and trading markets is great because, you know, you get feedback directly on the day and then you also get feedback, you know, the next week. When you go, are they there again? Did they like it? Did they pass on to their friends, family? What improvements would they make? And so by the time we came around to having our first sort of buyer meeting with a supermarket, which was, you know, 18 months, two years after we had set up, um, you know, we could say to them, by the way, you know, it's, this is not a focus group. This is not a product that's been designed by a committee. This is actually feedback from 10,000 people that's that's come live. And and so uh, we're sort of grateful for the fact that it has morphed along the way from the original idea. Um, but also, actually, you know, sometimes we still talk about it. We still, we still uh, you know, the idea of having a, a breakfast place of our own, you know, I think that's still, that's still a plan somewhere down the line. We'll see how, we'll see how we do with it. But, um, you know, that's obviously still in the, the back of our, of our minds rather than the, the front of our minds. Um, and it's also worth saying that, that, you know, that first stockist, Malcolm, from two peas in the pod uh, in Barnes is still a stockist now. Yeah. And so it's yeah. brilliant. Um, and he's been so supportive. And um, as a result uh, of his support, we've been able to, you know, um, create, create a business that employs people um, and is, is hopefully providing a better breakfast, uh, you know, for lots of other people. So um, Malcolm, if you're listening, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an incredible story about your yeah. start. And I think so many so many brands they have an idea and they have a product they think people will like and as you kind of said Johnny they then run with it and realize halfway through that it's not what people want and to be able to just listen and grow with your customers is really incredible yeah yeah because you didn't have that fixed plan you were like you said you were able to move it and mold it into yeah. what the feedback you're getting yeah. which I mean, I, at the beginning I was so sure people would want to eat breakfast bowls all times a day like fine we'll have a cafe and we'll trade all day long and then slowly we soon realised that you, know, you have a very small time frame to serve breakfast and yeah. not that many people eat breakfast at night <laughs> a few do but Some not more, many more people do but it's quite a niche market <laughs> so yeah I think it's really important to have a plan obviously but also be flexible Mm. And at which point did you kind of realise and make that decision to go down more of the boxed kind of product avenue? Well, we just, because we were getting requests from the likes of Malcolm and um, other bellies, we decided to do that as well as the pop-ups. So we we kind of just, at the time, we were just taking all the opportunities we could get. So um, we were supplying locally we were we, at this point we had a rented kitchen and we were selling online as well and that side of the business was sort of beginning to take over and the pop-ups was taking up a lot of time and a lot of effort and 
we weren't really seeing that much return. We were seeing return in terms of kind of, you know, the market research element of it is amazing, but in terms of making any kind of money out of that, it's pretty hard. So we came to this crossroads where we were like, okay, this is kind of going quite well for us. What's the next step? And it was one evening we were just, I was actually working at Johnny's flat, and um, we decided to enter Dragon's Den. It was just, it just came up, didn't it? It's very yeah. And then I think I just said, oh, like, we were just talking about Dragon's Den, I didn't even know how it came into conversation. And the same night, it was sort of a little bit fun, wasn't it? We were like, oh, should we just enter and see what happens? <laughs> And at the same time, we also entered, um, we applied to Glastonbury Festival <laughs> to trade there. Glastonbury said no, and Dragons then came back to us to say, can you come and uh, audition? So that's, yeah, again, one of our, I guess, our kind of attitudes at the beginning was, let's just go ahead first and see what happens. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's all, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it was a spur of the moment decision, but then, uh, them approaching us and, and you know after the audition when they said we'd like you to come and film that forced the decision out of us like yeah. what are we going to sell to them because we literally had a concept you know we had we had spoon and, and annie had designed the the sort of look and feel at the time which was really to reflect what was in the pack it was very clean um you know a sort of scandinavian style look uh you know reflected the the health there was an element of color for it reflected taste and and that's we we literally had um, a package and we had a concept and we had the two of us to run a business. What we did not have was a business. So you know the classic um, dragon's den question. You know what's your forecast? What's your you know what's your sales and net profit last year? We didn't have any of that. We had about ten grand in sales um, and a real fledgling uh, online business that was just getting going. And so we we sort of at that point made the decision to start looking quite seriously at, you know, getting into to, to the retail market. Um, so we pitched to them, uh, the two of us to run the business, the two of us to develop it, and, and uh, you know, the dragons that eventually became uh, Peter Jones and Declan Meadon to, to help us um, open a few doors. And, you know, luckily, luckily enough for us, uh, you know, the backgrounds that you know, we described to you guys in the you know, creative side and, and the investment side, I think appealed to them quite a lot. Um, and the fact that we were able to demonstrate to them uh, that we were committed to it. We were both working full time on it. We had actually uh, quit our jobs. And there were a lot of questions from them about, you know, you're not making money. How are you going to support it? Financial forecast and all that. And, you know, and, and, and for a lot of those questions, we just have to answer with, you've, you've just got to, you've got to trust us. You've got to believe in us. And, and I think that actually is, is, is what they like to do. Um, and that's what a lot, I think a lot of investors in my experience like to do is to, is to put their faith in the people that are running the business. Um, and knowing that we'd, it had come from a, you know, a side project and we, we, we'd done it even though we didn't have to do it, I think was an important thing. And, um, that's what, uh, you know, now when we're, we're looking to, to raise money for, for, for future development of the business, that's still a really important factor. Um, and, uh, you know, we like to meet people face to face so they can, you know, can talk to us and hear that, you know, we have hopefully pretty sensible ideas and could talk sensibly about our business and, and growth and opportunity and building a team and all of those good things. But for us, that was a really important uh, factor on the den was that real emotional connection uh, with us as individuals and, you know, the, the ability to, to build some bridges there because we were, we were in the den for probably, what, an hour and a quarter, something like that. 
answering all types of questions and you know those lights get hotter when the questions get tougher and you know the cameras don't stop rolling much like this podcast you know it just <laughs> keeps going um and uh you know we, we we built some some rapport and we built some trust and, and that's really why they decided to i think they invested in us rather than investing in spoon you know we, yeah. we could have maybe pitched them something else and it, but it would have been us that they would would have backed to to, to do it attention in the room when we gave them the product to try as well mm, definitely definitely um they were pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and that's always something that we've we've come back to is that, and, and we still come back to is that you know we like we want people to taste it, and we want people to to uh, we find that if they do taste it, generally they become become customers and they become advocates, and so uh, that's that's since the very beginning that's been a big part of our of our strategy. So is it Deborah and Peter who invested in you guys? What did they bring to your business? Obviously, you've got um, an investment of money as well, but I'm assuming that they also brought a wealth of expertise along with them. Yeah, they did. Um, absolutely. You know, they they both had previous investments in food business, uh, and we were able to to learn a lot from 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 both of them um, in terms of how investing in a in a smaller food business had worked for them, and you know what what their learnings were, and they we could we could bring some of those on board. Um, um, but mainly it was, uh, for us, it was the connections that opening, opening the doors and, um, they were both very, very helpful with that. Uh, we spoke to someone, uh, very early on who works with Deborah, um, a lady called Jane Milton, uh, who's, who's sort of heavily involved in, in, um, the, the food industry and, and small food businesses. Um, and so Jane gave us some really strong early advice, um, and, uh, we, 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 we put that into practice. And then uh, on Peter's side, uh, there's someone that, that works with Peter to, to help him manage all of his uh, investments from the den and helps him with, uh, you know, particularly on the, uh, the Levo Roots business. And so we ended up working quite closely with him um, and traveled around the country trying to find um, a suitable manufacturer for us um, and sort of juggling the ball of trying to find a manufacturer and a retailer at the same time. And so, really, it was it was um, you know working working with uh, both Deborah and Peter that helped us open the doors uh, to to the retailers, and, and and also more than that, I suppose it was just actually being on the program and having four million people uh, view the program, and you know we had retailers actually on the phone the next day. So as important as as the investors that we got was was actually the BBC and you know, being out there on BBC Two on a Sunday night, and so we got a lot of opportunities um, naturally naturally presented themselves, but. You know, we, we worked with, with the guys for, for several years and, and had a really good relationship uh, with them and they helped us out a, a, a lot over that time. So we're really grateful to have, uh, to have been involved with them. And, you know, really it's, it's helped us get where we, we are today. We wouldn't really be where we are today with, without that period. And they're definitely not scary. <laughs> It looks very intimidating. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Being in there for an hour pitching sounds really intense because obviously we all know TV's edited, but I never really thought about the fact that that 10 minutes you see isn't all it is. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Although it went really quickly for me anyway. Mm. It, yeah, it was, def- it was definitely... A bit of a whirlind. It was definitely a whirlwind. And, you know, you just... You have to deal with some unpredictable questions because they, you know, they come out of left field and you don't know exactly where they're coming from with, with their ideas. But, um, you know, we've always sort of enjoyed that, that sort of challenge. And I think that, um, when you, when you go in there, you just have to be mentally prepared, uh, for that sort of, um, you know, 
whirlwind approach and understand that everyone's got a slightly different agenda when you're when you're standing there. You know, you want to basically not be made a fool of <laughs> and hopefully get a little bit of investment. The dragons, you know, they want good investment. They want to look smart on TV. The BBC want drama and a nice TV program. <laughs> so, you know, there was no fainting or tears uh, for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were, we were, you know, quite well prepared. And as I say, I think one of the things that was uh, a real positive for us is that we, they couldn't really trip us up on anything because we didn't have a business already. Um, we had an idea. And that, that for us meant that things were a little bit more straightforward, um, I think. But it was a fun experience. It was a fun experience. And, uh, you know, we were definitely on a high driving back down from, um, from, from Manchester uh, straight, straight up. Yeah. Couldn't quite believe it. Yeah. A little bit surreal. I remember that drive because you said, because I was obviously elated. And then I just remember you saying, I do know our work has cut out for us now. <laughs> yeah, it's the beginning, yeah, not the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah so with every kind of new big win becomes comes more work and yeah hardship. but yeah it's really exciting and at the moment you guys are crowdfunding for investment is that right correct mm-hmm. yes and why did you decide to go down the crowdfunding route for this I think um, the crowdfunding for us was I think we knew that there are kind of we have other options that we could explore, but going on on the crowd, I think you're able to build a lovely network of people who are super interested in the brand and who will back you and be your brand ambassadors going forward um, and spread the word about what you're doing in a really kind of genuine way. Um, so that's kind of one aspect of it. Um, that's probably the, That's main, the aspect main aspect for us. Yeah. Um, you know, cre- creating that sort of advocacy yeah. uh, was 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 really important for us. And we've always, as a since since day one, um, we've always tried to be really collaborative in our, in our nature. Um, and you know, that in the past has really has meant working with other other food companies, um, whether it, whether it be at events or pop up or um, you know, sharing sales reps or whatever whatever it is. But uh, we wanted to create a you know, base of advocates, um, you know, that would be fully invested in the business uh, in, in all senses, not just financially, um, so that you know they could then go and tell their friends, you know, oh, I invested in this great business spoon. And so that's really what what it's about for us. It's it's not about the fifty thousand pound investors. It's about the ten pound investors, and um, really having people uh, buy into to what you're doing. Um, uh, you know, your ethos of your business, the products that you're creating and we take a similar approach um you know to to what we do uh with with our our, our retail customers as well and you know we really want to, to 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 go into the shops and help the help the staff understand what we're about as a business um and the, and the benefits of our products um versus the, the the other products that are on shelf and if you can get uh you know as many people as possible for both from the the end customer but also the, the guys that are working in the stores from stacking the shelves to whatever i mean it comes down to little simple things like on our, on our cases we put you know this is shelf stacking fuel so that's just a little nod to the guys that are doing the work putting the cases on the shelf you know who, who, who might you know be forgotten otherwise and i think that we always try to keep in mind um, everyone that is going to be touching the project, uh, project, the the, the product uh, along the line, 
and just creating as many advocates for Spoon as a business as possible. And, you know, we just try to do business in a good way, uh, transparent way, and an empathetic way, just thinking about the, the, the journey of our products. Um, and so coming back to the original question, crowdfunding is just the best way, I think, to get people fully bought into your business. And also to be able to share your story. It's very hard to share a story just on packaging. If you're walking down Cyril and you see Spoon, you've never heard it of it before there's very little space to, to share everything that we're telling you now and um, having this platform has really helped because we've been able to create a video um, and really really tell that story in a exciting and more kind of accessible way for people so that's been great mm, absolutely, absolutely. So it's, quite, it's, it's good for kind of just spreading word and, and, and getting that your messaging out there yeah and it does it really makes sense with the way you know you've run your business from the beginning I watched the video it's really cool it's good did you watch it yeah I did <laughs> um, really yeah I just cool. like the way you described it like and it is so true once you've met the founders or you've talked to someone who's sampling it and they're really passionate about the product you're so much more invested in the product and you're more likely to share it with somebody and yeah having someone invest in Twenty pounds. It's just really showing their support more than anything that they're yeah that they believe in you and the product. Yeah, and that means a lot. You know, it really really means a lot to us. um, You know, and uh, the 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 more people that we can create, that um, we we can't create people obviously, but you know, (laughs) the the more people we can tell about our story, the more people we can get telling our story. Um, You know, really, we 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 want to um, you know create that sort of buzz around what we're doing by getting people talking talking about yeah that emotional connection with the people that are buying because more and more people want that. That it's not just fuel anymore. It's that kind of experience that you get with the brand and and everyone needs it. We want people to feel really really good in the morning. Um, And hopefully, we're trying to do that through. You know, trying to explore every different touch point um, and utilizing every platform that we can with the limited budget that we have. Um, and that starts with packaging, but then there's also other ways of doing that through things like Cedars, through things like digital media, and lots of different things. But um, it's just about kind of really trying to capture people's imaginations, I guess. Yeah. We should talk about the product more. Yeah, so I you was have, just thinking. Yeah, you have three granolas and two, and recently, quite quite recently, two muesli's. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yes. Absolutely. So yeah, tell us about the process of the granola. You started with that and then introducing the muesli and what is it about that makes it so special? Yeah, sure. Um, so when we first started, it was just a case of experimenting with different recipes that we had. Um, some given to us by friends. We've loved, kind of done a bit of research online, but and then we we're also getting all of our ingredients from a local wholesaler, and just experimenting with all the different grains, all the different kind of nuts, um, different sweeteners, different oils. Um, essentially, the the process of making granola is really really simple. So you have the kind of dry ingredients, and then you have the wet ingredients, and you mix them together, and then you put them in the oven. Minutes, ten halfway, and I think we rested on. If we're going to talk about wet ingredients, I think we tried loads of different oils and and sweeteners and sugars and stuff. But 
what it all, we kind of landed on maple syrup um, because we felt like it had that amazing, luxurious, rich flavour. And no other granola brands on supermarket shelves were using maple syrup just because it is a very high quality, um, quite expensive ingredient. Um, so you, you'd find a lot of the granolas would have kind of lots of cheap fillers in them. So that's kind of why we chose maple syrup, just for the, the taste. Also, Johnny's uncle has a, a maple, his own maple syrup farm in Canada. So we kind of felt like it was a bit of a homage to him. And yeah, I guess that's, we kind of, that was the kind of, the base uh, template of the, of the granola recipes. And then it was just a case of um, experimenting with different flavors. So we've now got three granolas in the range, which is a dark chocolate, uh, cherry bomb, and cinnamon and pecan. And they're all kind of ideas taken from, I guess, sort of classic flavours, but then we've been like, how can we make them a little bit more exciting? So the cherry one has, you know, cherry, don't typically see that in the granola. Um, we've also got some nutmeg in there. And then in the dark chocolate, that was inspired by a mud chocolate cake, mud and lime, no, what was it? Yeah, chocolate and lime mud cake, sorry. Um, and so we've got a bit of lime in there and it really cuts through the, the dark 70% chocolate that we use and cacao nibs. And actually is our, I guess you could argue that it's our healthiest because it's got the lowest sugar content in there. So a lot of people have it as a dessert with sort of ice cream or yogurt after. Super tasty. Um, and then the mueslis came along after. Those were basically, um, we were kind of asked to develop them actually by Waitrose, um, which was really exciting for us. And we sort of obviously jumped at that opportunity because we had been making mueslis before. And with those, we wanted to make muesli a little bit more exciting. Muesli, if anyone doesn't know, is the difference between granola and muesli is that granola is baked and muesli is just a mix of grains and nuts and, and dried fruits. So in order to make it a little bit more exciting, we've used ingredients like beetroot powder in our very thick swan, which makes milk go a bright pink colour, um, lots of freeze-dried berries and dates, and then some more interesting grains like puff quinoa, some toasted buckwheat, that kind of thing. And then in the nutty one, we use some turmeric and cinnamon just to kind of bring out the flavour. But then also, we didn't want to, I think cosmetic can sometimes taste quite bland without, if you don't put any, because there's no sweetener in there or sugar, there's quite often a lot of dry fruit to sort of bring out the flavour. Um, but we purposely did not want to put too much in there because it's a bit of a bugbear that I think a lot of people have just picking out their raisins and dry fruit. So um, that's why we're kind of trying to experiment with different, more interesting, natural, uh, sweet flavours. Um, they sound yeah. delicious. <laughs> the lime in the chocolate is is great. I remember first trying it and thought this is yeah. So it's so so quite good. weird for people to get to grips with. You say chocolate and lime, but once you try it, you realise it's actually yeah, it's really works so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We used to, we used to have a different flavour, peanut and apple, or apple and peanut, I should say. Okay. Um, that uh, was was absolutely delicious, but we uh, you know wanted to create something that was a little bit um, <clears throat> that was going to essentially um, 
chime a little bit more with with um, you know what what people were asking for. Um, it was a little bit. It was. I guess it was. It was. We got a really strong response uh, from the people that bought it, but I think that certain elements of that particular product uh, didn't chime so well with people, like the whole peanuts that we use whole peanuts, um, which people I guess guess didn't like as much. And you know, it's it's funny that it was it was always funny to me that people were willing to accept you know peanuts in butter form, uh, but you know not so much in 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 whole form. And I th- I think you know for me uh, it's it's. Absolutely, a fantastic product, and 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 my favourite of the of the granolas that we have uh, created. Um, but we uh, decided to move on to a, to a fruity granola because I think it will um, actually just resonate with more more people, just appeal to a, a slightly broader audience than than we had for the for the apple and peanut. Um, and yeah, of course, as with all of these things, as as soon as you stop doing something, um, then you have, your hardcore fans you have the fans no, saying, where has it gone? <laughs> has it gone? I need my fix. It was highly commended by Michelle Lee Jr. as well. He's wow. like big into his cereal. And it's always, whenever we speak to people, I think it's one of those, because it sounds quite strange, that apple and peanut, you know, it's not been done before. Maybe it's a perception thing, mm. if you haven't tried mm. it. Yeah. Um, that, that was one of the yeah. that we came to. It comes back to what and you were saying earlier. How actually. Is exactly. Yeah. Getting people to take it off the shelf in the first place because it could be the most amazing product, but if it doesn't look good on the shelf, then mm. they're not going to buy it. So. And do you guys still do any sampling in stores? Quite a lot, yeah. and, and, and we're, we're trying to do more. Um, but yes, it's, a, it's, it's always been a really important part of, of uh, what we've done. Um, so for the for the independent stores such as Whole Foods, um, we try to, to write a sample quite a lot there um, and have that engagement with people. And you know, again, coming back to the piece about advocacy, um, try to tell the story, try to give them a little bit more than they can just get from from the packaging and just see, seeing us out and about um, sampling. Um, and but yeah, it's it's a, a key part of what we're going to be doing going forward is is just trying to get out there. Um, much more outside of London. Um, now that we have, um, you know, national reach, I think it's it's important for us to, you know, actually be be, be going out there, um, you know, outside of the M25 and, and, and spreading spreading the news uh, further and, and getting it into people's mouths. So yeah, definitely, it's it's an important part of for us, you know, converting people into in, into customers because. They can they can love the packaging, um, but uh, you you know it's still very difficult to get someone to to take a brand and a, and a, and a product that they don't know and put it in their basket uh, without some sort of incentive, whether that's a price promotion um, or you know having having heard us talk about this on a podcast or having sampled it. So sampling is one way that we can really get get access to people and have them try the product. Um, and, and hopefully convert them into, into fans of, of, of us as a business and, and more importantly our products because that is going to be the taste of the product is what's going to get people buying it regularly. You know, there's various things that people look for in, in what they buy and if you, you know, think about how you do your own shopping, um, you know, actually you do go to those brands that you recognize and it is hard to, you know, for, for when you think about your own journey around a shop as a consumer and how you purchase you know, you are reluctant. Everyone is reluctant to, to try new things. We all work very hard for our money. Um, it's a very scarce resource. And, you know, we want to know that if we are going to spend, um, you know, £3.89 in our case on a granola, that it's something that that, that, that tastes good and, and we're going to enjoy. Um, so, we, you know, sampling is, is really, really key for us in, in, in getting... It's easy to overthink kind of big marketing 
campaign ideas, but actually you just need to give the product to try. Um, it's not a glamorous way of doing things, but it's it works. Yeah, and whenever you ask people, you know, when if you do go out and do, you know, pay your money to do your research, which we have done, um, taste comes out on top as far as what people want from a granola. Um, you know, and actually the interesting thing is that price comes out a lot lower than than taste, and people are definitely much more willing, uh, certainly in, in, in our category, to, to pay for a great tasting cereal. And I think they've had some bad experiences with, um, you know, uh, branding and packaging that looks super slick and the photographs look great and it's just a serving suggestion. And actually you end up with a disappointing product in your bowl. And what, what we try to be um, through everything that we do is, is absolutely focus on the taste of the product. Um, and that's ultimately what's going to get people coming back and, and, and putting us in their baskets uh, week after week. Uh, but yeah, absolutely taste is number one in people's, on people's agenda when they're, they're shopping, um, certainly, certainly for, for granolas and, and mueslis. That's really nice to hear, though. That's what you want. Yeah. Of course, really. of course, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. Okay. How... We should talk about your branding and packaging which is very slick and it's always kind of stayed true to that Scandi style that you were describing but your background is in design so is it your influence on the yeah so at the very beginning it was just coming up with a name and we knew we wanted something quite catchy and something that wasn't too shade or literal so spoon was just just quite a nice friendly, random word that sounded fun and obviously hints to eating a bowl of cereal with a spoon. And um, so that was kind of, that came about quite quickly and it just stuck. And it's really been just a case of, it's been a really organic process. Um, I, I think when I started the design, it was looking at, I was very conscious of who we were speaking to. And at the time, it was speaking to young professionals on their way to work. And so I knew that they wanted something quite sexy and they were looking for health, but they were also looking for taste and they wanted something to aspire to. So I purposely went away from, I obviously went down the cereal aisle and kind of looked at what was out there and it is all very oldy waldy and kind of countrified and we are not countrified at all we're an urban breakfast cereal brand um and so that's that was sort of the inspiration behind behind the, the way it looks and the look and feel um, but since that time we've worked with some partners on the design who are specialists in branding um, and they've worked on the likes of innocent um so part of their kind of revamp uh, back in the day so they they really know their stuff and they've really kind of shaped our thinking around not just the packaging design but the whole brand piece and it's been a really lovely partnership because they um you know they used to, they come from big agency background and they've now got their own thing going on so they are very invested in us and um it's just been a really refreshing, hasn't it, to, to be able to work with people mm. who are kind of super talented and we really they kind of really understand where we're coming from. And I think it's been a really good relationship in terms of 
my understanding of kind of the design and branding, which I think a lot of branding agencies struggle with, working with clients who don't really get branding and place less importance in it. And I think that that's really helped the relationship. We've got that mutual kind of understanding of how important it is. But, I mean, Annie, you always do yourself down on this, but basically, I mean, a big part of our success has been like the look packaging from day one and, you know, working working with Darren and Natalie, who we do now work with, is a really recent thing for us. That's in the last six months. But Annie, you know, we did everything in-house. All all the design was done by Annie in-house for the first few years. Um, And again, that's part of the story. And again, it's a nice thing to be able to say. um, and, And Annie should take all the credit for that. Um, and yes, we're now sort of getting uh, some nice iterations on the thinking and some, some, you know, it's always good to obviously have more people have a look at it to, to get their advice and, and help and take. Uh, but, you know, the, the credit for designing, you know, the, the sort of clean uh, look with a splash of colour is, is, is Annie's. And I think that was a big part of, you know, us getting on the shelves in the first place because we have looked really different, as Annie said, to those sort of dull greens and browns that sort of hark back to the, hark back to the farm. And it's been um, for, for also for, you know, our ability to bring new customers to the retailers because, you know, we are bringing uh, a younger generation of people who are interested in cereal again because we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that cereals as a whole, the big box cereal, the family cereals is, is in decline, and which is why you've seen um, such a, a rapid rise of the, of the big guys trying to get into granola and porridge and muesli. Uh, but in a in a what we think is quite an inauthentic way, and um, you know they're trying to leverage the Shreddies brand and leverage other you know the brands that they have Coca Cola brand um, into granola. Whereas actually we've you know we've come from a very uh, authentic and it's very transparent uh, the journey that we've had. Um, and so coming back to the point about packaging, the whole the reflection of the packaging, what we're trying to achieve, the taste and the health uh, and the simplicity of what we're doing um, is actually bringing in a whole new younger generation of customers for, for the retailers. So that's been a big important part of our uh, story to them is that, you know, it's not the same old customers down the cereal lights, actually people who are willing to spend a little bit more to have taste. And, you know, they are much more discerning about what they spend, but they are willing to spend that much. And by the way, they're not just uh, doing that for cereal. When they buy our product, we talk about building a bowl. Uh, and that is not just from, from a health aspect, but, you know, just from a, from a creating a nice, uh, interesting breakfast um, and tasty breakfast. So, by the way, when people buy a spoon, they're also buying more blueberries, more strawberries. Uh, they're putting, buying a bit of honey or maple syrup to pour on top of it. Um, they're buying the more expensive yogurt rather than just your, your, your plain milk and maybe some seeds and stuff to go on top. So, actually, um, the story is we're bringing new customers into your aisles, uh, younger customers, people who do have more money to spend as well, and they're not just spending in cereal, they're spending it all over the shop. So that's a really nice message for um, a, a retailer to hear. Uh, and it's not just the cereal uh, buyer and cereal are that benefits from, from having us on the shelves. And, you know, the packaging has been a big part of telling that story. And, you know, the originally it was about the simplicity and the, and the health and taste. And now it's also about the, um, the builder bowls that we put on the side of our packs, uh, you know, the sort of classics of serving suggestion. And it comes back to, again, the collaborative way in which we work. Um, you know, we suggest that, you know, this is how to eat it. Yeah, it's really nice to see as well the spoon consumer, well, the way they enjoy it. And it is a younger consumer. And what we hope that will happen and is happening is that 
you know, they're spending the time to build their bulb and, um, you know, they're posting on Instagram and all these health influencers that are, you know, creating all these incredible breakfast bowls. Um, but then that message is kind of creeping into the older generations now. And you see, you know, younger students, for example, going home and, and, and asking their mum to pick up a pack from Waitrose because they want to, and then they're getting their parents into it and um, grandparents. And so it's kind of, you know, that the, we're speaking, the brand speaks to a millennial generation, but, you know, it's everyone eats breakfast and we want everyone to find breakfast exciting again and not be so stuck in a rut and, you know, the kind of more traditional way of having it at home with just a splash of milk is, we think, kind of, there's a time and place, don't get me wrong, but, <laughs> you know, there are, you can be very creative in the morning. Um, we just want to get people excited about it. That's yeah. so interesting. I found what what you guys are saying about how it brings in, you know, customers into other parts of the supermarket. I'd never really thought of that, and that's really, that's really amazing, actually, that you can do that with your product and kind of pitching it a certain way. And suggesting um, that variation as well, yeah, so that you're not having the same thing every morning, but yeah, you can easily vary it without spending too much time on, on creating your breakfast. Yeah. It feels like you've been, you've created something that's really interesting and tasty, um, but it's also really easy to do. So it's mm. kind of a win-win. You don't have yeah. to spend too much time on doing it, but it's just that that little moment in the morning, you know. It's just I always, I mean, I get up a little bit earlier just to have that downtime and enjoy my breakfast, and it's just one of those really simple pleasures that. I personally get really excited for that and hope that other people will because it's, um, you know, it just makes you feel really good. It's like that whole kind of, it's simple yet tasty and healthy and it just really sets you up for the day. Um, Mm. And I think a lot of people are cottoning onto that, which is... Yeah, and we we see that. We get tagged in fantastic photos from from all over the place, um, you know, of of these great breakfast ball creations that, you know, people share on on Instagram. And it's, that's, you know, a really nice platform for actually seeing the fruits of your labour. And actually the the, the message is, is spreading. So it's great to see. So you also have a book... Yes. How did that come about? Did someone approach you or did you have this idea and you wanted to demonstrate how to sure. um, I think we've always, the, the idea of having a book was always at the back of my mind. That was what, a bit of a dream. But, and we just obviously did not address it because there was too much going on. But then we got approached one day by Hardy Grant, who are a big publisher. They have um, kind of, they're, they're based in the UK and Australia. And um, they just got in touch to see if we wanted to de- donate a breakfast or a recipe to a breakfast book idea that they had. But we were a little bit cheeky and just replied saying, "Can we write our own book? This is the this is the pitch." <laughs> and it was as simple as that, really. They just said, "Sure, let's let's you know, why don't you come in and pitch your idea?" Which we did, and they basically we basically signed the contract then and there and. About a year later, we had a book. <laughs> so it was quite simple, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, because we had the background of making, we, you know, I guess we didn't make too much of it when we talked about it earlier, but we made cereals for two years 
um, in a little small production facility that we ran mainly by ourselves um, and we bought all the ingredients and we experimented and we cooked them and we packed them and did all of that mostly mostly just the two of us um, with a little bit of help now and then and that formed the backbone of those testing um, periods formed the backbone of the recipes that were in the book so actually it in a way had created itself um, because of the genesis of our business um, so when we actually spoke to Hardy Grant I think that they realized that we, we had a, a lot more to offer than just the one recipe for a breakfast book and a story to tell. And that was, I think, part of, part of getting, getting the deal in the first place. And so it, it, it was um, obviously a little bit more difficult than that in terms of getting the book written and the recipes tested and all that sort of thing. But the backbone for what, what we put in the book was already there. And, and that is, is the mueslis and granolas that we had created, but also, um, you know, the stuff that we, we eat and like to eat for breakfast in our, in our everyday lives as well, which really is, is what it's all about for us. That's okay. really, um, yeah, love that story. Great. <laughs> you just have to be a little bit cheeky sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. So Annie, Annie, I remember really, you know, Annie said, look, we've been asked to contribute. And I said, well, why would we? Why would we just contribute? Why don't we write one? And we then just—they just said, "Come in for a meeting," and then they said, "Yes," and that was that. Yeah. Um, so, if we had not asked that question and been a little bit cheeky about it, nothing would have happened. We would have been contributors, and that was that. So, you have to always, you know, try and try and push the boundaries with people, and you know, you never know what might happen. Yeah, it's clear with with what you how you've described your journey so far. That that is your attitude to everything. That you're just going for it and yeah, and without fear. I'll just, yeah. I think yeah. well, yeah, with a little bit of fear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is very much um, the case. And but we also knew that Hyde Grant, you know, they were experts in what they do, and they very much held our hand through the whole process, which was really lovely. I mean, they they were very the brief was very open, and we were allowed to kind of develop our recipes the way we wanted and but they were very supportive from the design of the book and the photography and all of that side of things and you know they've done it a thousand times before so we felt quite kind of confident that we were doing things the right way um, but yeah it was it was quite um very time consuming <laughs> a lot of uh yeah because it's all well and good developing a recipe but then the whole testing and you know, tweaking and stuff is, is the stressful bit. And the business did not run itself. Yeah, no, sorry, no, everything else. <laughs> which was pretty stressful. And then again, like everything we did in that period, it was it was just the two of us. Um, it, it always has been just the two of us um, with the help of, of an intern every now and then, up until very recently. And it's only uh, since since the beginning of this year, really, that we've, we've had a team. So, you know, we were, we were when we were in... Sainsbury's and Waitrose and Ocado and, and shipping out to the, the, the Middle East uh, and to Germany. That was just the two of us managing managing all of it. And, um, you know, we, we put a lot on our plates to to understand how the business was run. And, and we now have a really solid fundamental understanding from, you know, the supply base to manufacturing to, to all of the commercial side, having done it ourselves. And so we now feel that we've got a really good foundation for building a team and that um, we can uh, use the expertise that others have gained in other businesses, but also provide them with the knowledge that we have um, from, from what we've done. And so 
it's we're in a we're in a we're in a good place to build the team now, having having you know with sort of rock solid rock solid foundations, uh, having done all that. So obviously we've heard about the business and everything you guys do day to day, and one thing we always like to talk about is how you balance being business owners and the running of that with your own well-being. Do you have any strategies for kind of looking after yourself mentally or physically? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's fundamentally very important um, to you know to understand that you can't function well in your, your job or your, or your daily life um, without having a, a things going um, well for you in other aspects of your life, and that's all, all aspects, you know, physical, mental, relationship, all of those things. And um, I, I, you know, I sort of learned that to my cost when I was working in uh, in banking, because I, all I was doing was um, was working um, and then either partying or entertaining clients. And then weekends, I, I essentially spent spent sleeping, and I, I sort of uh, didn't look after myself physically during that that five year period. Um, and so I, I didn't have you know a good a good foundation uh, for my for my daily life and. Um, you know, part of me moving to the Netherlands was about um, actually getting a better, better balance in my life between the work aspect and, and, and other aspects. And and since uh, since doing that, um, which was which was twelve years ago now, um, I you know have become a lot more concerned with um, you know overall health uh, in, in in the sort of broader sense of that word. And um, I'm also pretty disciplined about, uh, you know, the the hours that I keep at work. And I try to actually, unlike a lot of entrepreneurs who are quite happy to sort of burn the candle at both ends, I think that is definitely necessary at some times. But I'm pretty disciplined um, about being focused when I'm working. And when I'm working, I am fully concentrated on that. And I like to, you know... Make sure that 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 when I am working, I'm in a suitable state of mind and feeling good to do so. And actually, if I'm not, then there's probably no point in me working. Um, yeah, then I then I distract <laughs> Annie, and nothing gets done in the office. So at that point, I will take myself take myself away. And you know, I've I've worked out over the years. You know, I've been working twenty years now, and I've, I've worked out what works for me and when I'm when I'm functioning well and and what I need. Um, to be happening in the background in my life in order to function well at work. So for me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a morning person. I get up early. Um, uh, you know, obviously breakfast is a part of that, the business, but also, um, you know, I like to start work early. I like to get stuff done. And I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty crap in the afternoon. I, after lunch, my productivity goes down. And so, but I like to think that I can achieve in sort of four or five hours in the morning. I can get pretty much a whole day's, you know, standard day's work done. That I, I would have done back in the day uh, in, in a sort of big office space. So that's that's yeah, I think understanding what works for you uh, is good, and you know no no one um, model fits all, and you have to be very individual about it. But I myself am pretty disciplined about the the time I split between work uh, and and doing other things, um, and that works for me. So I, th- I think it's it's I've come to that understanding over over quite a few years, but I've, you know I've I've been to the wrong end of the spectrum, um, and it you know it doesn't look very it doesn't look very pleasant. So you know fitness definitely um, you know going to the gym, going out running, going out on the bike for me that's that's very important. You know that for for, for me to feel good, eating well. Um, you know all, I've always liked to cook. Um, I'm largely vegetarian now. We don't we don't buy any meat at home. 
Um, and, you know, I, I, I do eat meat when we go out, but, you know, largely, uh, you know, vegetarian. Um, and I think that that, again, has, 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 you know, been part of me feeling better to work. And if you can, um, you know, have more energy in your work time because, you know, you're, you're, you're feeling good and you've got that concentrated period where you are working, then I think you're going to be very productive and, and, and good things happen. So that's my own personal strategy. And, um, you know, I think that it's, it's very much each, each to his own on that, on that front. Yeah, I guess for me, it's been a bit of a journey in kind of working out what works and how to keep the balance. Um, at the beginning, when we launched Spoon, I literally was lost at the end, would live, sleep, breathe, eat, Spoon, and to the detriment of kind of, you know, not seeing my friends as much. Um, I think that those that's the, the hardest thing I've, I've tried to manage is the the different kind of kind of priorities in your life um, and you know within I think I've been very focused on work a bit of a workaholic and I think you have to be at the beginning um, and I'm lucky that I've got you know a great friendship group and a supportive family who understand that I'm a bit of a nutcase when it comes to, to work but slowly but over the years I've managed to kind of work out that that's not healthy in the long run and as Johnny said you know burning yourself both ends is not good for your health um but yeah I guess it's just I think it's about being really conscious of um all aspects of your life and and, and giving each aspect enough time and attention um and not bringing as a as an entrepreneur like bringing work home with you trying to compartmentalize as much as possible um i mean in terms of uh, sort of health i i would say that's the one thing that has kept me going through um running a business that's my one sort of stress reliever is making sure i do lots of exercise and um, eating really well um, i think that's what's kept me going really um otherwise i probably would be in <laughs> but um yeah so that's but for me it's not hard I don't I look forward to going for a run sort of thing it's my release so that that's how things is good I think for me it's more about kind of um giving more time to you know people that you love and um you know I think it's because Spoon is my baby and it is like having a baby basically um not that I've had one so I don't know so it's probably a lot harder <laughs> to have a baby than running a business but um I have actually seen that so my sister's just given birth and it looks impossible so <laughs> I don't know how she does it um so yeah I guess it's just that whole um learning as you go and and, and just being um having that self-aware awareness to set your priorities straight and working smart. What's lovely now is that there's inspiration from loads of different people that you can you can get. Um, you know, I think for me, anyway, podcasts are you know a big part of that. Mm. Um, listening to how other people do things. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, there's, there's certain certain people that you know you regularly turn to to get inspiration from. And uh, I love a self help book as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you know, and, and I think that I I'm, I'm you know unashamedly take advice and, and just copy how other people do think. I mean, Tim Ferriss, reading the four-hour work week and getting into understanding Tim Ferriss and all his various life hacks and 
I, I, you know, I, I love that guy for how he's made me change my thinking about myself. Um, other people like sort of Dave, Dave Hyatt at the yeah. Do Lectures and Hyatt Denham uh, and then Mark Shaler, who, who's, who's a co-founder of Do Lectures. Those guys are just constantly inspirational, constantly putting out inspirational newsletters, making you think in a different way uh, across all aspects of your life, run great courses. And so the inspiration, you know, when I started work, there was, you know, even no email. And now you can just get inspiration from multiple sources. And that's just, I, I love that. I love it. I think it's good to be flexible and not have, I don't have like a set philosophy for working and, and and life in general. I think you know you go through fa- it's very much you go through phases in life. I always find and when you reflect, you're like, oh, that was the phase when I was like super into getting up at five a.m. every morning, going to yoga classes. And then I I think it's just about listening to what your body wants and needs. And sometimes you want to test your body and you know sign up to a half marathon or something like that. Other other times it's about just relaxing and, and spending time with your friends and not worrying about, you know, eating that well. You can treat yourself every now and again. Um, it's just, I, don't, I guess, don't be too strict on yourself is, is, is the answer to that. And what yeah. is something that I'm trying to teach myself to do as well. Sometimes easier said than done. Yes. Isn't it? But really good. Um, and so just to finish off quickly, what's next, Christine? Um, lots going on. Uh, team is obviously evolving and changing, growing, which is fantastic. Um, we are working on a really exciting collaboration with another British food startup that we can't talk any more about apart from to say that, but that for us is a sort of departure from what we're currently doing in our, in our sort of bag and box cereals. So that is, um, actually probably the most exciting development yeah. going on at the moment. Cedars is still live. Um, we're nearly at our target, so if anyone, I don't know when this goes out, so hopefully we'll be funded by the time it goes out. But well, check it out and see. Yeah, yeah check it out. Hopefully we'll be funded by that point. Um, yeah, France so is happening. Yeah, we're, we're trialling in France. So there's a supermarket out there called Casino, um, which you might have seen on your travels. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting for us. That's been all down to a girl called Agathe, who's working for us on the sales side of things, and she's French. So she comes from a bakery um, in France called Michel and, and Augustine. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was responsible for launching in the UK. And we've managed to nab that for ourselves, which is great. So she's been doing all French speaking, which has been really helpful. Very helpful. Very helpful. So yeah, there's lots of lots of projects going on. Um, and uh, I think being, you know, we're sat here recording a podcast in the Food Exchange, um, which is obviously yeah. a new collaborative hub um, in New Covent Garden Market. So the building's not yet full, uh, but there's lots of really great businesses in here already. And I think that, you know, as the building fills up um, and more, you know, young food and drink startup brands of various sizes and, and guises uh, come in, I think it's going to be um, it's really exciting to see how this particular space develops as, as, as a hub um, for ideas. Um, you know, it's going to help other aspects of, of, of business from a commercial sense as well. So that's also a really exciting piece of the puzzle for us. Um, and we moved in here a couple of months ago and it's one of the best decisions we've, we've ever made. So if you do have a you know, food and drink brand uh, that needs some space, have a look into it because um, we certainly haven't looked back since, since moving in. 
Cool. And if people want to find you, I think we've mentioned most of the stores, but to sum up, where can they buy Spoon and where can they find you online? Sure. So we're in Waitrose, um, Nation Ride. We're in Onocado. We are in Whole Foods in, in London. We are in Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, and lots of different independent stores across the UK. And if you live in France, if you're listening, casino. <laughs> but if you want Spoon in your local area, then you know, please ask your local store manager. Um, <laughs> and yeah, on social, it's uh, at Spoon Cereals across across the board. Yeah, great. Thank Amazing. you so much. Thank you, Thank you guys. Yeah, no, it's been really you. good. You can find us on Instagram at What's Cooking Podcast, on Twitter at What's Cooking Pod, or drop us an email, the What's Cooking Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and five stars. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.